So last week was kind of my definition. Tonight is my application. Now, I feel like we need to go back to our definition before we really get to an application. But I remind you, the backbone of this class has been that we must, underst- we must have a correct understanding of his attributes, his character, and his perfections. And then in the lectures on faith, Joseph spelled out six character, six attributes. And we've spent our time focusing on the attributes of Christ, the character of Christ. And I wanted to save to the very end what we often consider the most significant character of Christ, and that is love. I'm a great fan of Brene Brown. I don't know if you follow Brene Brown's research, but her definition of spirituality really does connect with me. She defines spirituality as two things. Number one, that we are all connected each other through a higher power, through a power higher than ourselves, and that that connection is based on love. Spirituality at its very root, according to a scientist, is that we're connected to each other and the essence of that connection is love. And I love that John in the New Testament simply says, God is love. The fruit of the tree of knowledge of uh, the fruit of the tree of life in Lehi's dream is the love of God. It is the most important characteristic and attribute of the Savior is that everything he does is motivated by love. Now, last time I pointed out that my frustration is that we use that word to talk about so many things, even negative things. We, we confuse love and lust often. Um, people will say, well, don't you love me? Love is never a form of manipulation. So it's a tragedy to use a single word to describe so many different things. And so I looked for so many years, how can I pull that word apart? How can I see the components that make up the word love? Now, the Book of Mormon has another word. The scriptures use another word for love, and that's charity. Unfortunately, that's another word that has kind of been corrupted. When I say charity in any society today, in our world, what do people think? the act of donations. Charity becomes donating, and that's misleading. So I wanted to pull it apart and see what were the components. And that's what led me to the the proclamation on the family. 1995, the First Presidency issued a proclamation, the family, a proclamation to the world. And in that proclamation, they said that successful families are built on nine principles. And I saw in the nine pairs of of twos. There was prayer and faith, those go together. There was work and play, those go together as a balance. There was forgiveness and repentance. So if we take those pairs out, all of a sudden I saw, this is just my own personal, I don't know that maybe you didn't see it this way, But I saw for the first time in my life the components of love. They used three words, and I kind of put them into a triangle. I see love as three things 
We'll use love as one of them. That's one of the nine principles that the First Presidency gave us. The other two have been a lifelong journey of mine to connect to the word love. Do you remember the other two? Respect and compassion. To love someone requires an element of respect. To love someone requires compassion for them. Not, I'm sorry for you. It's not, I'm sorry you're in pain. It's getting down into that pain with you. It's sitting with you in the pain. Love, respect, and compassion for me became the triangle of what is charity. What is God-like love? So that was kind of our definition. <clears throat> I want to go back to that, and I want to go to two places tonight. When we talk about love as a characteristic for Christ, we need to understand that when I say that God loves me, too often we just brush that off. And I think we need to break it down to its components. I don't know very many of you who have sat and pondered, God respects me. So we're going to talk briefly about understanding these components of love as they are applied from him to me. I'm afraid that I know that God loves me has become trite and okay, I know it. But when you break it down into its components, it changed me. I want it to change you. I want you to understand God's respect for you. We don't have that conversation very often. My definition that I shared last week, respect is to see the value that God places in you and to treat you based on that value. Um, not to be political, but how do you get to a point where you enslave a human being? How in the world did this country get to the point where we enslaved human beings? The only way you could treat them that way is if you dehumanize them. You have to dehumanize them because if they're not human, then you can justify yourself in treating them less than a human being. And that was the only way that this country could actually justify the way they treated the slaves. Now, and I don't want to, this isn't a class on slavery, but I, I wonder how many of us have dehumanized ourselves. And they just, we just don't respect ourselves. And therefore, it's hard for us to understand that God respects me. But I, I just plead with all my soul to let that thought enter into your brain that He sees tremendous worth in you. 
and that his love for you is based on respect for who you are. Respect for what you can be. Respect for the value you have inherent inside yourself. Now, I don't know if I've quoted this before, but I've got to share it again if I have, because I love this quotation. C.S. Lewis said it this way, and I think this is so profound. I'll share it so we can read it together. This is different than last week. Okay. This is the No Mere Mortals quote. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, I don't think I've heard this. Okay, C.S. Lewis, the brilliant man, said the following. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply of that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it. And the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another. All friendship, all love, all play, all politics, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of, life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Now, Allow me to get to slavery, because that is a very near and dear, not near, but very frustrating subject to me. Is it a very real possibility that a black slave in the early days of this country will become a god, worshipped by billions of followers. Now, if I saw that, how could I treat that man the way they treated slaves? If I saw billions of people worshiping this incredibly glorious being, would I strike him? and mistreat him? I couldn't, could I? I couldn't mistreat him if I saw the glory that his potential could bring him. Now, 
think about that. I want to think about that in two. With each one of these, I want to go two directions. I want to go Christ, me. And then me, others. So let's pause. And I just, I don't know how to instill upon this. I don't know if I sing will it help, if I dance, if I just yell. I think that you said very important things. Christ, I can probably try, but you will laugh too much and it will detract from the spirit of what I'm trying to say. But Christ respects you. He knows exactly what he's dealing with when he looks at you. He sees that glorious being who is worthy of worship. He, of all people, sees that even when you don't see it in yourself. You have a tendency to dehumanize yourself because you treat yourself like garbage sometimes. And the only way your conscience can allow you to treat yourself that way is if you dehumanize your value and you stop seeing the glorious person you were destined to be. And if you can just understand one concept that when, when, you, when the scriptures testify and when we testify that God loves you, when children stand up in testimony meeting and say, I know that God loves me, I need to expand that so that you say, I know that God respects me. And may I testify that his respect for you is not dependent upon whether or not you transgress. He sees the full glory of what you can become. In fact, he's looking at it right now. I, I don't think it's a far stretch that Abby is going to become a goddess that billions of people worship. Now, a being who is not in time is not looking at Abby in 2023. What being is he looking at simultaneously? He right now sees Abby in 2023 and the one that others are worshiping in the future. He can right now see her. See, the problem is we don't understand that God is outside of time. He is right now watching Abby be born. He is right now watching her wedding day. He is right now watching her give birth to children. He is right now watching her entrance into the spirit world. And he is right now watching her entrance into a kingdom of glory. And so, do you think he's focused on the Abby who said a cuss word yesterday? Hypothetically, I'm just saying hypothetically, I'm not trying to... Do you think... Guys, what happened to 
Do you think that seeing all that, he's going to stop treating her the way he, she, 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 he sees her becoming because we had a mortal moment today? Do you see my point? Now, here's the interesting thing. Tell me what you and I do. <clears throat> I know what you do, Ivy, when you make a mistake. And I know what you do to yourself, right? And I know that your value in your own eyes takes a hit because you're seeing the mistake I made yesterday. But I testify of a God who sees right now the glorious being Ivy will become worthy of worship. If I could see the woman she's going to be in the eternities, I would fall to my knees in her presence. So why not understand that he sees that in me? Stop limiting I don't even know how to say it stop thinking he disrespects you because you have moments where you disrespect you God loves you and by that I mean he fully respects who you are now number two Abraham something you wanted to say yeah, I was just saying, I was just like, isn't, isn't agency one of the great gifts of God, a sign of respect? Yep. There you go. That's my thought. What did it cost him to give us agency? I mean, an absolute, let me do this way. Let me throw this one in. What is perhaps, I don't even know that, I think I can drop the perhaps. What is the most godlike thing I can do in this life? What is the most godlike thing this human being will do in this life? I think I could make a strong argument that it's procreate and give life to another human being. Would you agree? To whom does God give that ability? To whom? Daisy? Us. To every one of us. Tell me that's not an act of complete respect. He grants every human being the ability to procreate as an act of respect. Do you see his respect for you? I love that moment. I just, just last night, I was teaching a class and I watched one of my students connect with God and she just wept. When you feel that love of God, it changes you, doesn't it? to feel his love, but allow me to split it into pieces and say, when you feel that he loves you, you also need to understand that he is respecting you and that you are worthy of his respect. Therefore, stop disrespecting yourself and understand the respect that God has for you. So thank you, that's number one. So, so much evidence of God's respect for me. Now, 
what then must I do? What must I do? Let me throw the numbers back on, okay? How much, on a scale of 1 to 100, how much does God respect me? How much does God see value in me? We're going to say that's 100, right? Now, sometimes, what's this number? Sometimes this number struggles, doesn't it? It, maybe we split it. Maybe we just for the sake of discussion. Here's someone that I love and here's someone that I don't. So this number would be higher. This number is higher than this number. But I need to understand what are those two numbers? 100. Again, not to be political. But as a polarizing example, what is God's number for Donald Trump or any political figure you don't respect? What is God's number for the person you can't stand? It's a hundred. Meaning God looks at that person and sees how much value. I look at that person and don't. So if I want to go there, if my desire is to love Christ and be like him, as I get closer and closer to Christ, what must this number do? It must get closer and closer to Christ. Could I word it this way? Do you think this is a far-fetched statement that the way I get closer to Christ is I start increasing that number? Is it a far-fetched assumption that the work I can do to be more Christ-like isn't necessarily what I do with Christ, but what I do with others. As I learn to respect others, I grow closer to Christ. As my respect for the least among me grows closer and closer to Christ, I become more like him. I think it is lip service to say you're trying to be like Jesus and not try to respect the people in your life. I think you're a hypocrite. I think the measure of our Christianity is increasing that number. Can I put my can I lay my defense my can, can I lay my case? John chapter 13, 33 and 34. Can we read that? Last Supper, John 13, 33 and 34. Anyone want to read for me? Mainly 34. Jill, do you mind? John 13. And then which one? 33 and 34. Um, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come, so now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, 
as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Okay, so little children, you can't go with me, but follow me. Follow me where I'm going. And a new commandment, a new commandment I give unto you. So what was the old commandment? Anyone want to tell me what the old commandment was? A new commandment I give unto you. Let me pull it up. I want to look at this together. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. So what was the old commandment? What was the old commandment? If this is the new commandment, what was the old commandment? I'm going to let you think about that. If this is the new commandment, what was the old commandment? To love Christ. Okay. To love God with all my heart, mind, and strength was the first commandment. What was the second commandment? Uh, love thy as, as thyself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I think we could butcher that because we're pretty good to ourselves and pretty bad to ourselves, right? I probably are more, I'm probably more worried about my hunger than anyone else's hunger. Would you agree? So that's a pretty decent level of love. If I thought about your hunger as much as I thought about my hunger, I'd be a pretty good neighbor. But if I treated you the way I treat myself, I'd be a pretty rotten neighbor. So he says, you know what? We're not going to do that anymore. That is no longer the standard. So what is the new commandment? That you love as I have loved. That ye love one another. And then he throws the gauntlet down. By this shall all men know who are my disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? A great scriptorian? Does he say, here's how you know who the, great, who the disciples of Christ are. They're great scriptorians. Nope. They're faithful church attenders. Is that the criteria? Faithful church attenders are true disciples of Christ. Nope. What did he say? Disciples of Christ are doing what to this number? They are increasing this number to match his number. If you, again, if you are not trying to respect other people the way he respects them, then what would he say? Kind of bluntly, you're not his disciple. Whatever you think the church is, Christianity is growing in my respect for others. Do I see their value? Do I see the value that they see, or that he sees? And that includes myself, doesn't it? Do I respect myself 
the way he respects me? Do I respect you the way he respects you? That is Christianity. Totally different way of thinking about it. Abby. I just had like a side thought that if we were able to like look at ourselves as a god or goddess, um, you know, having all those things, or to be in the kingdom of heaven, to be worthy of being in, in that realm, would we ever like allow that, the things that we allow for ourselves? And to think like, if I wouldn't treat another god or goddess this way, why am I doing it to myself? That is my plea. That is my invitation. To study God as a being of love means, I think, multiple things. Number one, it is to understand what God loving me means. That God sees my full value. It also means that I am doing that with others. It also means I am doing that with myself. I would never treat a god or a goddess the way I treat myself. I would never say the things about a god or a goddess that I say about myself or others. That's the invitation. Because he is a God of love and respect, it compels me to treat others and myself that way. That level. These two need to become the same number. This one needs to become the same number. Any thoughts? Jill? I think it's very impossible to love others without also asking Heavenly Father to spare a little bit of His love. I find it helps me a lot to be able to think about my friends when I ask Heavenly Father to, like, to grant me a little bit of His love and like the way that He sees others because try as we might, we can love each other, but not to the degree that He loves us without a little bit of His help. Yeah. And that's exactly where I want to end. How do you do that? How do you get there? Do you think we can do it on our own? Can we love like he loves on our own? Absolutely not. So let me give you a couple scriptures and let's talk about what it means in a practical. If, if, if I've convinced you that loving God implies in it that I love like God, that's the plea. I need to respect each and every person on this planet. The person I flipped off on the freeway because they cut in front of me. I really didn't, but bear with the analogy. The person I flipped off. What is God's number to that person? It's 100. And loving God compels me to get to the point where my number for that person is 100. Now that's a difficult task, isn't it? 
So how do we accomplish it? I want to do exactly what Jill just said. How do we accomplish it? May I suggest he has given two things I need to do to accomplish that goal. Number one, number two, let's turn there. Moroni chapter seven. Moroni seven, again, what would we do without the Book of Mormon? Moroni chapter seven, verse 45. It's a long chapter. <laughs> it's a beautiful chapter. Moroni 7.45, speaking of charity, this, this beautiful definition of charity. And I love his, maybe we'll pause just a moment. I love, this is Mormon writing to his son Moroni, and Moroni includes it in his record. Moroni 7, notice in verse 1, I want to talk about faith, hope, and charity. And then he talks about charity. And I love verse 47. What is his definition? Charity is the pure love of Christ. Give me synonyms for that word. Pure love of Christ. That means the pure love from Christ. It means the pure love of Christ and the pure love like or as Christ. Charity is ultimately complete when he loves me, I love him, he loves them, and I love them. I love that definition. Now, verse 45, how do you get it? How do you learn to respect other people? Nope, not 45, sorry. 48, what am I thinking? 48, how do you increase your respect for people? How does this nation heal from dehumanizing an entire race and treating them as less than humans? How do I, as an individual, increase my love and respect for someone to whom that number is very low? Ready? Number one. Anyone want to read? Okay, Abby. Number one. Yep, I'm going to pause. We're going to break it down into two pieces. Number one, you get charity when you... Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart, that ye may be filled with his love. There's number one. In other words, back to Jill's statement, there's no way you will love like him without his help. He has to give you a gift of love. He has to bestow upon you a piece of the respect that he has for other people. I have to get it from him. If I don't get it from him, I'm not fully going to get it. Because when I look at Abby, I don't see what God sees, does it? Do I? And the only way I'll fully respect Abby or Daisy is if I can say, Lord, you see something that I don't see. Could you endow me with that? And how do you plead for that? All the energy of your soul. I think that should be part of what we pray for. Allow me to respect them 
as thou respects them. Show me. Show me. And maybe we ought to pray for that charity for ourselves. Show me what you see in me. Can I please have a little glimpse of what you see? You got to ask. You'll never get it unless you plead with all the energy of your soul. You will never respect others, including yourself, unless you plead for his respect. Plead for him to grant a little piece of that to yourself. Now, what's number two? I ask for it, and then keep going, Abby. Which he? Which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his Son, Jesus Christ. Pause. On whom does he bestow that charity? People who are trying to be like Jesus. So is it safe to say that one of the ways to see what he sees in other people is to do what I can to act like him? To say what he says, to do what he does, to be what he is. I'm trying to be like Jesus is one of the ways I raise my hand, say, please give me charity. Grant me charity. Those are the two that he has stated in the scriptures. If you want to respect others the way he respects others, ask, plead, pray. And then get up from your prayer and start acting like Jesus. And that's who he bestows it upon. Now, what we've done with respect, could we also do with compassion? Let's do that for a brief moment. Let's see compassion on this. How much does Heavenly Father feel what I feel? Not is aware of it. Not all, I'm not asking, is he aware of it? How much does he feel what I feel? A thousand percent. Rachel? Oh, no. You're just giving me the number? Yeah. When I'm scared, does he feel my fear? When I'm trembling, does he feel my trembling? When I'm excited, does he feel my excitement? Let me give the analogy again because it's just, it's on my mind a lot. 15 year old girl comes home and says to her dad, the boy she likes doesn't like her. And the dad says, yes. yay, <laughs> I'm thrilled. But if he were compassionate, what would happen in that moment? I'm excited, but she is devastated. She is devastated that he doesn't like her. So what should I feel in this moment? Devastation. I should feel devastation. Because how does God feel in that moment? He's devastated. He feels 100% what I feel in the very moment I feel it. He knows exactly what I'm feeling. 
He has compassion for me. Abby. Um, I know for me personally, like when someone gets upset about something, I'm like, that is the stupidest thing to ever know. Right. Like, Just, are you kidding? No. And, but like, what if we went to God sad about something? <laughs> and how many times if you as a human do you think that he would think, girl, this is That is the dumbest thing. for you. This is so stupid. Get over it. Mm. But like, we, you know, we want to understand that he does, unfortunately. And I think that so many disputes in relationships, like I see it with my parents, and I see it with me and boys, or me and friends, or just between so many people. Like, if we, the first thing we thought was, okay, what? why are they really mad? Or why are they really sad rather than that's so dumb? Or I would never be mad at you for that. Because a lot of the times I'm like, how would you feel if I did it to you? And they're like, I wouldn't care. And I'm like, well, I do. <laughs> so I think that it's just so, resolving to problems to really put ourselves in the compassion. 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 I think compassion could just solve everything. It's so many things. Everything. I serve on a board of education and I am quite often the victim of some hate mail. I get a lot of hate mail. People yell at me and hate take mail. my name in vine. Huh? Hate mail. Hate mail. House? To my house, to my email address. I get a lot of hate mail, especially during the pandemic. I got people saying, it's not safe enough. You're not, you're not protecting my children. Other people will yell at me saying, it's too restrictive. You're interfering with my child's education. And people were vividly angry at me. Now, when you get a piece of hate mail in the mail, what's your first imp impulse? What an idiot. Until I learned a secret. Why are they mad? Tell me, I need to tell myself, what do they see that's causing them to be angry at me? And if I thought that or saw that, would I be angry as well? And the answer almost every single time was what? Yes, I'd be just as angry. They care about their child and they perceive that I've done something to harm their child. And they're angry. Now, they don't have all the facts. They don't have, they don't know what I know. And so I can understand their anger. And I wrote back much more compassionately when I could understand why they were angry. So again, two arrows, Abby went both ways. I need to understand God's compassion for me in every moment. Does he think what I think is important is important? Does he feel my concerns? Are they important to him? Or does he brush it off and say, what a dumb thing to worry about? He has compassion for me. What's his number? Back to our scale. What's his number? What's his compassion number for me? 100. So what's the next request? Will you have that level of compassion for other people? Will you pause instead of brushing off? Will you pause and ask yourself, why do they feel that way? What would happen if Democrats took a moment and asked, why do the Republicans feel so strongly about that? And honestly felt 
what the Republicans feel. And what would happen if the Republicans said, why do the Democrats feel so strongly about that? And took a moment and tried to put themselves in that position and ask, why do they feel so strongly? What do they see? What would happen in our country if we did that to each other? If we had compassion for each other. If my number towards you, if my compassion number towards you was increasing with the ultimate goal of matching Christ's number to you. May we learn to respect, learn to love, learn to have compassion, even for ourselves, the way He respects, loves, and has compassion for us. Love, I believe, is more than a feeling. Love is respect. Love is choice. Love is compassion. I love my 15-year-old daughter. And so when she's devastated, before I react, I let myself feel her devastation. May we be more like Christ, is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.